having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. 
Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham. And so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. That video is from the Bible Project. They have a lot of really wonderful videos. In fact, um, on your paper that has different homework assignments for the week, most of the weeks we have included one Bible Project video. They are so good, so I'd encourage you to look at those videos. Well, good evening. I'm Tammy Metters, and I want to start by telling you a story. Sorry about that. There was a man, a 75-year-old man who was raised in a polytheistic culture. And what that means is that his culture worshipped many gods, multiple gods. And they worked hard to make these gods happy. They worked hard to appease these gods. But these gods were unpredictable. And they paid no attention to the humans. They didn't have a relationship with the humans. But the humans wanted their lives to go well. They wanted to flourish. They wanted to, to have land. They wanted to have descendants. All of these things, good fortune, prosperity. And they tried to earn these blessings by making the gods happy. Question for you guys. Have you ever tried to control life by living in a way that in your mind you were entitled to God's blessing? Or have you ever been afraid that God would be so angry with you that he would punish you for something you did or something you didn't do? If you've ever had those thoughts, then you might understand just a little bit about this culture that this man grew up in. Ur in Mesopotamia, where this man was from, was a pagan culture with immorality and idolatry as the norm. And this man that I began telling you about, well, his name meant father of many, but actually he was the father of none. And remember, he was 75 years old and his wife was 65 years old. And then one day, the God, the one true God came to him and told him that he was going to bless him and make his name great. He told them that his descendants would be so many that he couldn't even count them, that he would inherit land, and that the whole world would be blessed through him. 
all the things that the people in his culture were trying to get from the gods. Descendants, land, a great name. And God promised him, but he said, it's not just for you. It's so that everyone in the world could be blessed through you. And God told him, but you need to leave. You need to leave your father's household. You need to leave your people. You need to leave your city and go to a place that I will show you. Where? Where do I go? I'll show you. And so he went. And his life took a 180 degree turn. Maybe God separated him from his, from his city, from his people, because he wanted him to learn a new way of life. He wanted him to learn a new way of relating to God. And I imagine that he had grown up in a culture where pursuing survival is important. And the reason that I think that is right after God led him out of his land, not long after that, um, he asked his wife, Sarah, to lie and to say that she was his sister. Because evidently, he was afraid that if the Egyptian leaders knew that she was his wife, that he would be killed. That's why I think he was, survival was, was a big deal in that culture. Um, but now this God is saying, trust me. I'll protect you. Put your life into my hands. And I think that would probably be a pretty big challenge. Well, this man's name was Abram. His name was changed to Abraham. And Abram means the father of many. Abraham means the father of nations. So tonight, we're just going to call him Abraham. We're just going to call him Abraham. Um, and you know what? His name did become great. And he did inherit land. And his descendants are as many as the stars in the sky. And he grew in his faith. And he grew in his ability to trust God. And we learned a song about him as a child. And we're going to sing that song tonight. Did y'all know that was coming? Okay. Are you ready? All right. One, two, three, four. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Left arm. Okay, we only have four more. No, I'm kidding. Good job. Excellent job. Very good. Well, we have a lot to learn tonight about this man, Abraham, and the hope of redemption that God began to unfold through him. We're going to start with Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Ashley. Genesis 12, 1 to 4. I have assi- By the way, I've assigned different people to read the verses tonight. So, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your na- native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. 
So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we are going to be moving from the creation period into the Abraham period. And so we always just want you guys to have your timeline with you because it's just it's a great thing to look at as we as we talk tonight. But we're moving from C to A in our acronym casket. So you might want to kind of look at the timeline. And you know what? Things have been pretty grim since Adam and Eve. Right? Things have been pretty grim. But Genesis 12 is a turning point. We see the hope of redemption. We see the hope of restored blessing and the hope of reconciliation between God and humanity. And remember last week we asked the question, what happened? What happened between this beautiful flourishing garden where Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day and the flood? And last week... We, we determined sin happened. That's our problem. Sin is our problem. And now God is going to start his plan to deal with sin and evil. And right here is where we see this plan begin to unfold. So Abraham's a significant character in God's plan of redemption. And the scripture calls God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob many times. Why does the Bible talk about God as the God of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason is because that the covenant goes through Abraham to, to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, which remember Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. And then his 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And then all the way until the whole world is blessed through Jesus Christ. So tonight, we're going, I'm going to call it a lesson in our faithancestry.com because these are, the, are our ancestors. These are the ancestors of our faith. These are the patriarchs of our faith. Our bottom line for tonight is that God's plan for redemption is beginning to unfold through one man that became one family, that became one nation, that led to one Savior for the whole world. And the Old Testament tracks this one family, starting in Genesis 12, throughout the Old Testament, and it tracks their interactions with God. And then, of course, in the New Testament, we see the birth of Jesus, and we see how this promise begins to be extended to the whole world. I don't know if they'll have it. Um, it's a it's a sign that has worked this particular word on it. Um, let's see. Oh, here it is. Blessed. Blessed. Oh, look. Blessed. 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 Oh, this one. This one says blessed. Blessed beyond measure. Simply blessed. Bless this home with love and laughter. Look, this one. This is blessed. I don't know if I'm blessed or you're blessed, but if you need a sign that says blessed, there's plenty out there for you. 
There's plenty. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Okay, should we do a poll on who has the most blessed signs in their house? Maybe we shouldn't do that poll. Um, well, you know who's blessed? Yeah, we, we are. Abraham is blessed. Um, and you can kind of see this little chart I created. We see that God blessed Adam and Eve. Remember, he said he blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, rule the earth. 1,656 years later, God blessed Noah. And he, he, he kind of reaffirmed um, that creation mandate to be fruitful and to multiply. And then 422 years later, God blessed Abraham. And he didn't, it, it's not a be fruitful and multiply, but there is a fruitfulness there because he promised him many descendants. And then, of course, we know 1,976 years later, God blessed the whole world through Jesus. And the interesting thing is the word blessed was used two times in the scripture in over 2,000 years. And now it's used five times in two verses uh, pertaining to Abraham. So just, just interesting observation there about God's blessing. So God has promised to bless Abraham with land. His descendants will inherit land. He's promised to bless him with a people to lead, many descendants. He said he's going to be the father of nations, so everyone will be blessed through him, and that his name will be great. And in Genesis 15, God restated the blessings. And then Abraham basically asks, well, how will I know? And then God proceeds to, to do something that was common in the ancient world. He cut a covenant with Abraham. So notary, a notary stamp and a piece of paper would be probably the way we would do that today as a contract. Um, but that's not the way that they did a covenant back then. And so let me tell you a little bit about that covenant. First of all, it's known as the Abrahamic covenant. And it's a quite messy scene, actually. So Abraham took a heifer and he cut it in half. And he put one half on one side and he put the other half on the other side. And then he took a goat and he cut it in half. One side on one side, the other side on the other side. Then he took a ram, cut it in half, one side, one side, and the birds were kept whole. And basically, um, when you're entering into a covenant, what you're saying is that if I don't fulfill my part of the covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. So it's serious. It's a serious commitment. And I want you to think for a moment about the answer to this question. Why do you think God put Abram into a deep sleep and then he passed through the animals himself? Just something to think about. Why do you think God put Abram into a deep sleep and passed through those animals himself? Well, I think it's because God knew that humans couldn't be faithful to the covenant. He knew that, that we couldn't 
that we couldn't hold up our end of the covenant. So God passed through for both of us. Let's look at just some of these blessings and talk through them a little bit. So the first one is land. And I've got in this middle column, Abraham's reality. This is what Abraham is experiencing. And then on the right column, we see that this is the promised reality and it is the reality that is fulfilled. Um, But we see that Abraham's a wanderer. He never has a permanent home. He lives in tents. And the only land that was ever his was the land that he purchased for his burial, for him to be buried at. And of course, his future reality is his descendants do inherit the promised land. Um, Land also is a gift of security. Think about that culture and that time, what a gift of security land is. It also symbolizes rest. And ultimately, Abraham found rest in his heavenly home. Hebrews eleven sixteen says that Abraham was looking for a heavenly home, and we will inherit the same heavenly home. So seed. Abraham has no children, and these seed will not come for almost 2,000 years. Um, yeah. And this is actually um, the place of Abraham's greatest pain. He wanted an heir. He wanted a child. He wanted a descendant, but he has no heir. And he most likely thought that Lot would be his heir. And that might be the reason he took Lot with him when he left Ur. Um, But then Lot distanced himself from Abraham. And then he thought his heir was going to be Eleazar, his servant. But then God told him in Genesis 15, no, your heir is going to be your biological son. And so then he thought, well, maybe my heir is going to come through Sarah's servant. So now we're at, we're, we're at, three, we're at three, three possible heirs that Abraham might have thought was going to be his heir. And as I thought about this, the, th- the word that came to my mind is anticipation, anticipate, okay? That stuck out, stuck out to me because it seemed like Abraham is trying to anticipate who his heir will be. Remember, this is very important to Abraham. And so he wants to know the plan. Have you ever wanted to know the plan? Have you ever just kind of like tried to work things out in your mind to try to figure out the plan, Right? Instead of like trusting and waiting and having patience, um, you know, it's, I think it's kind of a common human experience, actually. Abraham did it, and I think, I think we can do that, too. And one of the words that God has been impressing on my heart a lot lately is this word unfolding, okay? And, and sometimes I just call it the unfolding of God, the unfolding. It almost sounds like a movie. But when I think of that word unfolding, I think about my need to trust God and to watch him unfold his plan. And until he gives me a clear step, then my job is to rest and to trust in him. No anticipating or trying to figure things out. Um, just, just watching and waiting 
um, watching and waiting him, what he does in, in his plan. So it took 25 years for God to unfold his plan for Isaac to be born. 25 years after the initial promise. That's a long time. 25 years. And remember his wife, Sarah, she was 90 years old when this happened. So God must have wanted the child of the promise to be born in a supernatural way. I want to point out also that the seed is physical. It's a physical lineage and also spiritual. If you were to look at Matthew 1, look in your scripture at Matthew 1, you would see this lineage. You would see it, it's, it says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. And then you see a really long list of names. But you see it goes from Abraham all the way to Jesus. It goes through David. And it says, all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. And remember, this book was written to Jewish, to Jewish people. And so lineage is very important. It's very important. So Jesus is a part of this, this lineage, this biological lineage of Abraham. And there's a spiritual lineage at, at work as well. Because everyone who believes in Christ is a child of Abraham. Everyone. And Jesus has to be a part of the physical lineage for this covenant to be fulfilled. Okay? So that's important. And by the way, the word seed is um, a singular word in Hebrew. And I know I don't, I'm not going to pronounce this right, but it's, it, I think it's pronounced something like Zerah. Zerah. I know that's not right, but yeah. Um, but depending on the context, it can mean many seed, many descendants, or it can be a specific one. And I love the way the New Testament interprets the Old Testament because we have Paul who interprets this for us in Galatians 3.16 is our next verse. Woody? God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. Mm -hmm. So that word is talking about Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. And if we look back to Genesis 3.15, we see another instance where the word seed is used, and that is also referring to Jesus. What's some, who has that verse? And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we see here. God had a plan already to redeem humanity, and his plan was to send Jesus, and it says that he will defeat the plan of the enemy. He will defeat Satan. He will, de he will defeat death. And if we look back at our graph, um, whoops, there it is. I want to point out that there's a big difference between what Abraham is experiencing and what the, the future reality is. 
It's a pretty big difference, wouldn't you say? And it really made me think about the kind of faith that Abraham had to have. He really trusted God. He really had a lot of faith. Okay, we're going to have a quick table exercise now. And let me play this to introduce our table exercise. Three on this map. Yes. Um, Africa. That's a continent. Oh, country. Um, um, Greenland or Iceland or something? That's Alaska. Um, <laughs> any country. No, no. And on the entire map. Um, this is so horrible. Where's America? I would say this big one, but I'm probably wrong. Okay. Can you name any country on this map? Oh my gosh. Shouldn't I be taught this in school? I would hope so. South America. You were. Oh my God. How about a country in South America? Okay, so you know what? Americans are kind of known to not know geography, but you know what? We're gonna learn our geography tonight. Academy students aren't gonna be accused of not knowing our geography. So uh, table facilitators on your table, you'll, you'll see in your zippered pouch, everyone has a map, so you can pass those out. And we have crayons. I heard that you guys like crafts. That's what I heard. Um, and so you're going to use this map and you're going to trace Abraham's journey. And we have step-by-step -step instructions, so it'll be really easy. And the last thing I want to say is that you can look through Genesis and even read the verses and track through, that, through those verses as well. And you have about seven minutes to do this. And you know what? I'm going to email you this. I'm going to email you this. I'm going to email you this map. And I'll also email you this map because this is today. And it's just interesting to look at that. Okay. Belonging to Christ makes us Abraham's offspring. You are part of this family and this story. We're Abraham's seed. Abraham really did have many sons. Many sons really did have Father Abraham. And I am one of them and so are you. Galatians 3, 7. Who has that verse? Did I skip a verse? Okay. The real children of Abraham then are the one who put their faith in God. The real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. And we can see this in the story. We can already see the Gentiles, right? in the story. And the word Gentile simply means a non-Jewish person, someone who was not born into the nation of Israel. And from the beginning, the plan was for all peoples of the world to be saved. And God is just unfolding that plan in our minds. Maybe it feels like it's, it's, it's unfolding slowly. Um, one thing I do when I'm studying scripture is I have a little wondering page not wandering, wondering. 
I wonder, like I'll, I'll, I'll reach something and I'll just like, I really, I wonder, I wonder why that's there. I wonder what God was doing. And so I want to wonder a little bit tonight with you. And I want us to wonder what might be some reasons that God's plan unfolded over so many years. What might be some reasons? I'm going to give you just a minute to think about that. And then maybe a few of you would like to share your wonderings. If we got what we wanted, right when we wanted it, it wouldn't produce the perseverance and the character that he's developing us in us. Very good. You may remember a man named Paul in the New Testament. And one really amazing thing about Paul in relationship to this story is that God gave Paul this ministry to the Gentiles. Um, and that that's what he did. He he took this blessing and he explained Jesus to the Gentiles. Let's read these two verses. Galatians 3.14, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers may receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. In Galatians 3.28, there is no longer Jew or Gentile slave or free male and female for you are all you are all one in Christ Jesus we're one family God's faith family and we'll stand shoulder to shoulder one day in heaven we are the church we are the church and because you're a part of the story you have a role in the story you have ownership in this story. You have ownership in the gospel. So I want us to read this next verse together. Let's all read this together. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Very good. I really love what Carol um, Kaminsky says in the book. And I'm just going to have to again let you guys know that this book is very rich. Um, if you guys have your book with you, and you can turn to page 40, and we're going to read a little bit of this together, starting at the bottom of page 40, the, the chapter book, the chapter book. It's called the Old Testament Study Guide. Okay, I'm going to start, and then we're going to have a couple of other people read. It says, the mission of God continues to be accomplished today when people from different ethnic backgrounds come to faith in Jesus. They become part of the worldwide family of God envisioned in God's promise of many descendants to Abraham. <coughs> mission, therefore, is not simply a New Testament concept, but is central to God's plan of redemption. The unprecedented growth of global Christianity Christianity testifies that God's worldwide multi-ethnic family continues to be established. This indeed is the heart of the gospel. 
With this missional intent of God in view, the children of Abraham are to make disciples of all nations. If we are children of Abraham, this too will be our priority, for it lies at the very heart of God's plan of redemption. God blesses Abraham for the sake of the world. God's people are commissioned to proclaim the gospel to all nations. For some Christians, this will entail moving to a new country to share the gospel to a specific people group as a missionary. For others, it will involve a lifetime committed to Bible translation so that all the language groups of the world might have the Bible in their own tongue. While for others, it will involve using their financial resources to support the work of missions. Yet for all of us, this will surely require nothing less than living out and proclaiming the gospel in our neighborhoods and in our local communities. This will necessitate a change in lifestyle as we give priority to God's mission for a lost world, with the profound awareness that we ourselves have been redeemed by God for this purpose. Anything less than this devotion to God and his mission means, in reality, that we have failed to grasp God's plan of redemption in the Bible. It is this story that needs to shape our lives. One day, people from all nations and languages will give praise and worship to God. Our lives need to be shaped by this reality. Any thoughts on this passage in the book? Chills. <laughs> Chills. Mm -hmm. We have a responsibility. We have a role in this story. We have a responsibility to help people find and follow Jesus. And that's actually why Academy was created so that we can be equipped to be disciple makers, so that we can be equipped with the story, which is why we're starting here in the Old Testament and then moving on to the New Testament, so that we can understand the redemptive story. So there's truth that we want to understand. There's character that we want formed through Academy. And then there are skills that we go out into the world um, and use. So it's head, heart, hands. So that, that's why we're doing this. And God shows us this future mission right here in the book of Genesis. Isn't this amazing? I'm like reading the book of Genesis just like this is so amazing that you see the gospel right there, right there in Genesis. And then this verse Revelation 7, 9 to 10. I think, was that your verse? That's okay. Maybe Shannon could read it. Or somebody over there. Sorry, Shannon. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Here we are, right? Here we are. Every tribe, every nation and every tribe, every people and language. And you think about the promise that God made to Abraham and that it will be fulfilled one day and that we're going to be a part of that and that we have a role to help others 
find their place in God's faith family, in the church, in the church. Okay, last point. You are righteous in God's eyes by your faith, just like Abraham. Genesis 15, 6. Matt, oh, can, you, can y'all give the microphone to Matt right here? Genesis 15, 6 says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. What do you observe about this, this verse? The only thing Abraham did was believe. That's right. Abraham's faith is what gave him a right relationship with God, and and it's the same for us. If anyone ever asks you, how do people in the Old Testament be saved? How were they saved? Just go to this verse. It's the same as us. It's, it's, It's by grace through faith. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. Did I give anybody this verse? Oh, Mike, thank you. Romans 4, 20 to 25. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will always count us as righteous if we believe in him, that one who ra- the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As we close, I want to ask you a question. Is anyone here tired of striving? Is anyone here tired of trying to prove their worth? Maybe you're trying to prove your worth even to yourself, maybe to those around you. Maybe you're ready to get off the performance hamster wheel. And maybe we don't do that for God's, for, the, for salvation, but maybe there's something in us that still is trying to earn God's favor. And you know what? God offers us rest. He invites us to rest. He invites us into an unconditional love and acceptance. So you're invited not to get your worth from what you do, how you look, what you have. Your worth comes because you believe you have faith in Christ and then his righteousness is given to you. Abraham gives us this example to follow. He was living in the promised reality by faith. Where are you living? Are you trying to walk between the heifer and the goat and the ram when God has already walked through for you? I've got a few personal takeaway questions. This is our personal takeaway time now. Um, for you to think about, is there something God showed you during your study this week, during your discussion time today, or during the teaching? What did God impress upon your heart? If, if, if you need guidance, I have some questions here. The first one is, what did you learn this week through your... Oh, I just said that, sorry. 
The second one is what have you learned about the promise of Jesus in the Old Testament and the redemptive story? The next one, where might God be asking you to grow in your faith and trust in him? And if the goal is total trust in God and surrender to his plan, what area of your life would you have to think differently about? And I added one more. What is God asking me to wait and let him unfold? Is there something that that God is asking you to trust him with and let him unfold? And we'll give you about seven minutes and then we will conclude. All right, well, we'll end with our bottom line. God's plan for redemption unfolds through one man that became one family, that became one nation, that led to one Savior, Jesus Christ, for the whole world. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we just sit in amazement um, at your plan. Just as we, as we read these scriptures we just we can see this redemptive plan it just it's coming alive for us lord and we just thank you for it we thank you that when we're when we're not faithful lord you always are and that you you do go before us lord but you have made a way for us to be part of your family forever and that's through christ and we thank you that we that you've revealed that to us And we also thank you that you've given us a role in that, Lord. And we do ask that you show us what that looks like in our lives, Lord. Um, Show us how we help others find you and follow you. And, Lord, when we get to heaven and when we're all together, all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues, Lord, I just pray that we will look around and see people that are there because of our faithfulness to you. We love you so much, Lord, and it's in you we pray. Amen.